You are now listening to My Faithway Podcast. You can now find us on every major platform. And don't forget to visit our Facebook page with live services every Sunday at 10 a.m. Central Time. If you want to become a partner or simply make a one-time donation, please text the word FAITHWAY to 77977. Click send and you will receive a link for further instruction. Feel free to comment on our Facebook live stream services or visit our page at myfaithway.org. Now let's experience life in a new way, the Faithway. I almost didn't make it today. I, I, I have this bad habit. You think after living almost 35 years in South Texas, you wouldn't get overheated. But yesterday I got overheated. And this morning I was like, yesterday I was like, ah, but we got it done, whatever that done meant. But it was so hot. So if I'm talking a little slow, that's just dehydration, all right? Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you, Lord, for everything that, that is going on in this church. And, Lord, we know that through everything you've called us, Father, it's always been about grace. It's always been about this sufficiency of grace. And I just thank you, Lord, as we continue on this subject and we dig and dig into areas that maybe I've never even realized were there, that you show us how grace is, you show us how it works, and you show us how to apply it in our lives and with those around us in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Amen. So we've been talking about this series, you know, basically called Grace for the Gutter. You know, that's the title I I found. And, And one of my, you know, in studying these things, Meaning the gutter, you know, I just want to define the gutter. You know, the gutter is just every low spot of anybody's life, right? The gutter is the lowest spot in the street. The gutter is where all the garbage drains to, right? And sometimes in our walk, you know, Christian and non-Christian, you will feel like you're there. You will feel like Al said, where did God go? You know, you'll, you'll have these moments, you know. Um, and I think the more you understand grace, it's easier to navigate through life in the difficult times. Because, you know, it's really easy to be excited about God when everything's good, right? All the bills are paid, got money in the bank. Kids are acting like they're delivered from Satan or something, you know, everybody's behaving. And you're like, oh, Jesus, I love you. But then something shows up in your life, and it changes everything. It changes your rhythm. It might change, you know, every, you know your, from your finances to your health. And then, you get, then the questions come, where are you, God? <laughs> Where's all... You know, we're the high times, you know, we're over here and now we're over here, you know, we're in the valley now, we were in the mountain. And that is really the place where you've got to have a clear understanding of grace because the grace is the most powerful in the gutter. That's just the way it is, you know, in the, in the, in the you know, Jesus' most miracle, well, actually all the miracles, I'm trying to think of even one that I can completely connect inside the church and I don't remember one if, if I'm wrong. You know, the only time he did something in the church is he beat him up with a whip. <laughs> and that's not called a miracle. It's called a tantrum, right? <laughs> but everything Jesus did that was powerful and amazing was with people that nobody wanted anything to do with. And then you really begin to see, because if you can figure out where is the grace is the strongest or where the heartbeat of God is, all you have to do is get in there and, and take the vision and take the heartbeat because that is really the key to understanding the gutter, understanding the low spots. Let me just go through some of my... My notes I made, and I'll just read you know, this, this note I actually wrote it a couple of days ago. It says, I knew about God. It's just you know, my introduction. Well, there it is. Look. Why couldn't I just get it right? For years, it was my own effort, my own thoughts, my own decisions that traced the lines of brokenness in my life. Sure, there were temporary moments of simulated peace, but then failure arrived again. Crawling into the gutter seemed only natural. 
You know, when you don't have God, you, you have this tendency, right? Okay, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And then if something happens, you keep going back and you keep going back. And, of course, you guys know most of my life story. So, you know, understanding this idea, you know, the, the simulated peace or things that the church does, which I think is dangerous because we created a narrative in the church, and I've said this many times before, nothing new to most of you, but, you know, we have perfected phoniness in the church. That's just a matter of fact. All of us, including myself, you know, it's, you go to church, and church should be like the safest place in your life. And it's not. Church is actually one of the places where you, where you really protect yourself the most. You know, the church is one of the places where you really want to build a, 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 you know, an image or something that won't let people really look inside your brokenness. But everyone in this room, including myself, we're broken people. And if you're not a broken person, you don't need Jesus. Amen. You know, when you run around the world and do missions and stuff, you really see levels of brokenness that probably you're not aware of in America, right? And you really see the need, and I really see, I guess, what drives me as a pastor and as a minister in, you know, 30 years in ministry almost, you know, in a couple of years, it'll be 30 years in ministry. Um, 30 years saved, 30 years in ministry, 28 years in ministry, is to see that all the need that we have with our brokenness and the brokenness of society is resolved in the grace of God. But the thing is, we're not comfortable with it. So I want to show you some stories, and I'm, I'm going to kind of pick through them because each one of them is very extended. And at first I started to say, well, how long is this going to take? So, you know, we live in a state, and, and this is really the, the fact is, we live in a state of knowing about grace. And I want to talk to believers now, those watching me online, those in the house. You know, we know grace. Okay, yeah, unmerited favor. I got that, Pastor. But do we really see how it flows. And I, and I have three stories, and I, I think I'm just going to summarize them. I might, I might dig into one of them. Well, let's, let's tell you, well, let's, just, let's go to John chapter 4. Let's just do this. Let's just, I, didn't, I didn't put the scriptures up because that wasn't the intention. But I want to show you three stories of Jesus. You know, we've been talking a lot about grace in the Old Testament, which I thought, you know, you know we talked about, it was amazing last week, we talked about grace vindicates you. And, and after church, a young lady came to me and, and shared a story. And I said, you know what? That message was for you. Because it was really about a lot of wrong being done to somebody and situations, including lives being lost. But you know what? Grace vindicates. Isn't that good? Like the story of Hannah was so powerful. So, you know, we're, we're going to try to see now, you know, move it into the New Testament and really see Jesus. You know, because Jesus is the face of grace. And that's all it is. That's all he is. Now, religion has made his face a lot of things. But the face of Jesus is the face of grace. There's nothing else but grace in him. So in John chapter 4, we find one story. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of shotgun these because so, every one of them could be a, not only a sermon, it could be a series, right? John 4, we find one scenario. Let me, get to you. Let me catch up with you guys. And in verse 5, John 4, 5, we find Jesus... And verse 4, I just want to, it says, and must, he says, he left Judea, verse 3, and departed into Galilee, and he must need go through Samaria. Then cometh to the city of Samaria, which was called Sychar, near the parcel of the ground that Jacob gave his son. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore, being wearied of his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There comes a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples were gone away of the city to buy meat. Now, Let's stop there, and, and then I, what I'll do is I'll really compress the rest of the story, because I, I have three examples I want to see you about grace in the gutter. So this one, we find a woman, 
And there's a lot of tension here that, that you have to resolve. I did a, a really good series. I'm going to revisit it, you know, see what, um, probably like in 2018, you know, about this, based completely on this passage, about God calling you immediately into serve, God calling, you know, not, not putting what religion does. I mean, we went on and on and on. I'm not going to go there. But what I love about this story is you find a woman, and, and, it's, and, and he's at the well, and now he's going to engage her. Now, I'm, and most of you know the story, so I'm just going to tell you what happens in the story. Number one, the Jews and the Samaritans don't mix, even though they're both Jewish roots. So for Jesus to be in Samaria is really rare. And the fact that the disciples were there, I'm just thinking they're trying to avoid it. <laughs> you know, because Samaria was a place you would avoid. Like if you had to go from here to here and Samaria was in the way, you'd take the long way. That's just the way it was. They did not mix. You know, there was, there was tension. So for a Jew to be sitting on the well talking to the Samarian woman, first of all, a Samarian woman by herself and a Jewish man by himself. So that's counterculture. You're not supposed to do that. So if, as, you, as, you, as, you know, as you really break down the story, there's a lot of tension here. It's not just how Jesus sat at a well. He, he, Jews aren't supposed to be there. Men aren't supposed to be seen with a woman by themselves in that culture. Back then, that was very serious. So there's a lot of dynamics coming. And here comes this woman, which is another interesting cultural fact, that women don't go to the well by themselves. And they don't usually go around noon either. They go early in the morning, get their water for their chores. They all, they all go there. They catch up all on the gossip because they didn't have Facebook back then. You know, like y'all do when you go wherever you go. <laughs> and they would go back to town with their fresh water, do their chores, and in the evening probably get more water, and that was usually the routine. Well, this woman comes, interestingly, alone. She comes at an off hour. This is not the normal hour of people going at the well. It's early, early in the morning when people get water. And then the conversation continues, and I'll just summarize this whole thing. Jesus finds out that this woman has had five husbands. That is super counterculture, and that... I mean, if you think it's bad now, think about back then. And the person she's with now is not even her husband. So now we have this woman with tons of issues. Not only is she a woman at the well, she's a woman that other women don't want to be around. Yes? Because, you know, apparently she likes other people's husbands. So most women don't want that kind of woman around their husbands. Say amen, ladies. Thank you. And, you know, she's been rejected. She has, you know, the past she has to live with. She's rejected within her society. Well, to make the long story short, and again, everything's paraphrased because time, at the end of this story, this woman that was rejected, this woman that was abased, this woman that nobody had any use for anymore except maybe to cook and sex, I hate to say it, but that was really the end of this woman's life because the person she was with is not her husband anymore, so this guy doesn't even consider her marriage-worthy. So you've got to dissect these stories. These aren't just little cute little stories. This is a, a situation. Jesus does not go to Samaria, but apparently he goes to Samaria. Where did he go? He went to the gutter. He went to find the mo- one of the people that was most broken, that was placed down at the lowest, and gave her life. And not only gave her life, gave her purpose. This is a beautiful example of what I call grace in the gutter. And some of the, you know, some of the things that you find in John 4 or 5 is what, this woman is, is filled with failure. I mean, really? This is her fifth relationship. She can't get this right. She's been rejected by her peers. She's been rejected by society. She's been rejected by the women. And pretty much abandonment. Unless she clamps on to somebody, she's got nothing else to go. That's what's called grace for the gutter. So, you know, all these points I'm bringing, you need to bring them home because we're always, oh, you know, unmerited favor of God. Let's believe God for, you know, grace for a parking lot. Yeah, that's awesome. But how about grace for rejection? How about grace for abandonment? How about grace for abuse? And things that we carry, because I said at the beginning, we've perfected phoniness. 
And instead of letting grace do its job, we just keep padding it up, padding it up. I got grace, got more revelation, more insights, more word, more word, more word. But inside, we're carrying all this pain, we're carrying all this stuff, and we just hate to deal with it. So we just keep shoving it back in there, shoving it back in there, shoving it back in there. Oh, it's all fine, I got the joy of the Lord. But when you're alone and nobody's watching, do you break down and cry? That's a question you need to ask yourself. When you're alone and it's over, are you, and everything's fine, you got the nice house, you got a car, but you're still so stinking depressed that all the toys that you got will not fill anything. John 8, 1. Let's go to another one. I'm going to show you this because grace is the most powerful in the gutter. Glory to God. Man, I felt the power had just moved through this building. Glory to Jesus. Here we find another woman. And this woman is, you know, in a, in a, in a huge problem because she's been caught in adultery. Well, back again to Jewish law, this woman has to be and legally will be executed. But, the, you know, the Pharisees and the people, they didn't like Jesus, and, and he was a rabbi, and they're just watching him. They're always trying to catch him on something. Always trying to catch him on something. Always trying to catch him on something. So as, as a rabbi, he has studied the law, and the law is pretty clear. The law does, is, is not open for interpretation. You commit adultery, the end is execution. Well, that would fix it in this country, right? <laughs> Both ways, right? <laughs> um, there's really cut and dry. So they bring her, the people that are in charge of this, and they throw her, and you could, you could assume, you know, she was possibly naked. She was possibly stripped of her clothes. I mean, this is, a big, this is not a pretty sight. Full of mud, spit, probably bleeding already. They've been throwing her around. And they throw her on, on, right in front of Jesus and say, hey, Rabbi. Because they know the love that he moves in. They know the grace that he moves in. They know the forgiveness. So now they're going to throw this, for them, a piece of trash woman in front of him. Say, what, what, you know, the law says, this is, not, this is not an investigation. She was caught in adultery. And the book says, we have a right to execute her. What do you say, Jesus? And the Pharisees are there, and the Sadducees, and temple leaders, and mob of people that just love throwing rocks at people and killing them. And he takes a moment. Again, all this is there. You can read. I'm just, the reason I'm not reading is so we, you know, we get through the story and get to the point. And Jesus makes a phenomenal statement, and, and it really is about grace on both sides of the aisle. The, even the grace of the attackers, even the grace that the accusers need. But it's really about the grace for this woman. So, as, as verse 3 says, And the scribes and Pharisees brought into him a woman taken in adultery. And then, they, they, you know, they, verse 5, they mention the law. And they go all through all the things, and then they ask him, so what do we do? And Jesus replies with an amazing statement. He that is without sin, let him throw the first stone. Now, on a lot of levels, again, culturally, religiously, you have to analyze this, because let's just go to the basic Jewish law. It tells us there were Pharisees there. Now, we don't have a video, so I'm doing a lot on assumptions. But my assumptions are pretty, I'm pretty comfortable with my assumptions. They got this woman, and they're pushing her, and I don't know if she's tied up or not, but they got her, and they're grabbing her, and they throw her down. I just believe that somewhere in this process, that woman either rubbed up on them, or touched them, or they actually grabbed her. And if that's the case, every one of them is unclean. Right? I mean, because we're going back to Jewish law. Jewish law says kill her, but Jewish law says, as a Pharisee, you can't touch the unclean. So right now, her, his authority as a Pharisee is, is gone, because unless he goes and takes a ceremonial bath, 
and comes back clean, he has no authority to talk about the woman. So Jesus makes a really simple statement. All right, which of you is clean enough to throw the first stone? Which of you is holy enough to throw the first stone? You know, one of the things as believers we have to, and again, I think it's kind of a normal type, maybe not for everybody, but a lot of, I know I kind of went through that phase early in my life. When you find Jesus, if you're not careful, and we did a whole series on this, but you're not careful, you can get a, you know, back to what Gabby said, you can get that, that ego. You can even get a Christian ego. Oof, I'm better. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm more spiritual than you. I'm higher than you. And that's what the Pharisees carried. I'm better than you. And Jesus said, right now, you're not better than anybody because not one of you has a right to throw the stone. So if you want grace to move, stop throwing rocks. You don't have the right because you didn't die for me to criticize me. I don't have the right to criticize you because I didn't die for you. You don't have a right to judge me because you didn't die for me, and I don't have a right to judge you because, you know. We just got to stop that nonsense because that going back to the church. We play these, these things like we're spiritual, but then we act like we're a bunch of heathens, always talking about each other, always commenting about, always, you know, chismeando about everything. So my question is, which of you is holy enough to throw the first stone? Because I'm not. I'm not worthy enough to, to, to judge you on anything. So we see here that grace is really, you know, grace is for the gutter. But grace is this little sensitive thing that is moving not only on this adulterous woman that is about to be executed, but it's even moving into the team that is there to execute her. Because they are faced with a question. You know, what I'm trying to teach you right now, grace is not a thing. Grace is the Spirit of God. And it was freely given to you. But you know what Paul said? You can frustrate it. You can, you know, don't frustrate the grace of God. I mean, that is a scripture. So we see it here. Woman deserves to die. Jesus draw, you know, draws the line. They, they get it. They're like, dude, he just, you know, today you say he just punked us. Let's go. Because <laughs> not, not one of them has the authority to throw the first rock. Because everyone is dirty as she is. So once that happens, watch what Jesus resolves. So all that is gone. And, you know, he, he says, he that, he that are without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. When they, verse 9, which... They which heard it, being convicted, who's doing that? The Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit's helping even them. Because the word is really convincing. That's a hard, hard translation. The the actual word you're going to find is more a convincing type thing. But the convincing of the wrong that they had done, or the convicting, by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last, And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Had no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now that idea, you know, even the idea of go and sin no more, we have to just, you know, play with it a little bit because we read it like, okay, they didn't kill you this time. Don't jump in somebody else's bed because next time they're going to get you. It kind of play, and that's not even what it says because the the word sin is not about you. He is not. He's not even referring to the adultery because at this point there's a bunch of sinners in this, the sinners that are going to throw rocks without authorization by the law of Moses, and a woman that committed adultery. So sin is not about 
oh, don't, you know, don't do this, don't do that. This was about missing the best. Remember that sin, best definition of sin is missing God's best. That's all it is. So when you do something like, oh, I sinned, no, you just missed, God had something better. Not, not, you know, don't put yourself there, just fix it, repent, move on, right? But sin is not, you know, what we've made it to be. It's just God has something and we keep missing the mark. Well, he's telling this woman, he says, grace has set you free. Stop missing the mark. That's all he said to her. In other words, if you choose to live by the covenant, you won't need to sleep around. He's not judging her for a... He, he never even brings it up. Think about this. Not, you know, he never brings up her, her actual sin. He doesn't say, well, okay, you, you know, let's thank God, thank me and everybody, you're not dead. Go and commit adultery no more. He doesn't say that. Go and sin no more. Well, pastor, that is really difficult. Of course, it's impossible, actually, if it's not for grace. But now that you have grace and you understand your frailty and you understand your brokenness and you understand the position that you're in and you understand that nobody can judge you but God. Now, don't use that like a gangster tat because I always get a a kick at those because like, no one can judge me but God. I say, dude, he will. (laughs) Yeah, it might not be too much fun on the, you know, Schlitterbahn slide to hell, but you will be judged. No one can judge us but God. But that's, you know, that's both ways. So you need to stop your judgment, but also your judgment about yourself. Amen. So what do we see in John 8, 1? Grace is there for the consequences of your past. I have no right to be in front of you guys this morning based on everything I did prior to 30 years ago. <laughs> Amen. There's, no, you know, there's nothing that qualifies me. But, you know, Paul had the same thing. You know, he, he says, hey, I've been killing Christians. I, you know, if it wasn't for grace, I couldn't be here. But, you know, the consequences of your past are resolved in, by grace if, you know, because a lot of us carry our past like there's no solution, church. We carry, you know, we're carrying all this love. Oh, I like that my parents did this. I was raised this. I was abused. Yes, I get it. I'm not making a light of that. Those are very serious things. I would never even joke about that. Because I've counseled enough abuse victims to say that is a very... I don't even like jokes about abuse. Because it's deep. It's serious. It's, it, it damages people so deeply. But you know there's grace for this. But as Christians, we say, maybe if I read another self-help book, you know, let, let me just get another Joyce Meyer book. Nothing wrong. I love Joyce. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm just saying, we keep trying to resolve something that can only... It's not going to be resolved by trying another self-help book. It's going to be resolved by just accepting grace. By laying yourself down like the adulterous woman and say, Lord, okay, I deserve to die, but there's nothing left. Oh, what do I do, Lord? Go and sin no more. It's about the consequences of your past. You know, Paul said, and boy, this guy had to work it all the time because he was not only judged, he was judging himself, but people were judging him all the time. Paul, really? He used to mess with Christians. He says, one thing I do. Philippians, I forget my past. And I just move forward into what God has called me. That is what grace does. So yes, everyone in this room has a past. But are you going to let your past continue to speak to you and continue to control you and continue to tell you're nothing and continue, yeah, you tried this and it didn't work out. Yeah, you can't be married because you have another failed marriage. Yeah, you can't do this. You tried a business, you went broke. What a part of your past are you going to let it keep talking to you? Because every time it talks, guess what doesn't talk? Grace. Grace cannot over talk 
you. You should tweet that one. <laughs> All right. Let's go to Mark 7. I'll give you one more. I mean, all of these are in the gutter, man. Every one of these stories. And we could go on because Jesus' miracles were in the gutter. They're in the leper colonies. They're with the wine bibbers. They're with the people that nobody wants to hang out with. You know who you would find? Grace. Jesus was, was criticized by the church because he would hang out with sinners. Imagine that. They say, why are you hanging out with wine bibbers? Why are you doing this? Why are you, you're not supposed to be with those people. Well, you're supposed to be holy. He says, I am holy. That's why I'm there. You'll get that one later. (laughs) Holiness is the most powerful in the gutter. Holiness in the church is whatever. You know, we can all fake we're holy. Mark 7, we found, this is, I like this one a lot because it really relates to people that have never, have any connection with Jesus, have never even encountered Jesus, have no context of religion or religious, you know, this woman, it, it, it makes, you know, I love the way the Bible is put together because this, the whole introduction of her is it starts that she's not from here. She's not part of this. I mean, before even Jesus, because I know Jesus, and I'll, and I'll explain that why it's like, that was brutal. Jesus called her a dog. Well, no, I'll, tell you, I'll explain that in a moment. So let's read, let's read in verse 24. And, and from thence he rose and went into the borders of Tyre and Sidon and entered into a house and would have no man know it, but he could not be hid. For a certain woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came to his feet. Now pay attention to the next verse because, you know, we just read about it, all the crumbs and all that, but this verse is kind of key to understanding what, what, what I'm trying to teach you. The woman was a Greek. All right? Let's try this. Let's try Texan. Set you free. The woman was a Texan. The woman was a Mexican. The woman was from Hebronville. The woman was from wherever. My point is this woman was not part of God's family. And grace was still available for her. Imagine that. Because this is a gutter situation. This woman is desperate. And she approaches him. And I'm going to try to, you know, I'm not going to try to be apologetic about what Jesus said. But I'm going to explain why he said that and the context of where he said that. Okay, so because people, this is a hard reading because he calls her a dog at some point. And uh, hey, by the way, guys, don't call any woman a dog, especially a Mexican woman, because if you call her a dog, you will be sleeping with the dog (laughs) and probably injured. Anyway, for a certain woman, well, let me, verse 26, the woman was Greek, I don't know if I can pronounce that, Syrophoenician by nation. And she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. But Jesus said unto her, Let the children first be filled, for it is not meet to take the children's bread and cast it unto the dogs. And he answered and said unto him, Yes, Lord, yet the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said unto her, For this saying, Go thy way, the devil is gone out of thy daughter. This is just a simple, simple story. But the dynamics are, once again, this woman has no right to the covenant. Now let me back up so I can... You know, be Jesus' lawyer for a moment because, oh, Jesus called a woman a dog. That's not cool. Okay? Number one, answer this question. Where is Jesus operating as far as, if you want to go dispensation? I'm not going to get deep. He's still in the Old Testament. Talk to me. The New Testament doesn't start till the resurrection of Christ. So everything Jesus talks about, he's talking it from the perspective of law fueled by grace, which is beautiful. So he's still subject to the law. So he's, when, when the nation of Israel uses the word dogs, that, is, that was just a word that they use for whatever reason. If you want to call it racist, so be it. But that was the word 
that meant anybody that wasn't a Jew. Anybody that wasn't a Jew, they were outside. So guess what? We would be considered dogs. Anybody that wasn't by birth Jewish, by lineage Jewish, would be considered, was, you know, Gentile. So Gentiles, that was their word. You know, agree with it or don't agree with it. That's just the way it was. So when he says, it is not right for me to give it and give it to the, you know, if you want to change the word dogs to the word Gentiles, is because in the Old Covenant, Jesus is here for the house of God first and then for the rest of the world. But we don't really understand that. But back then, the Jews and every other culture was very, very tight. No mingling, no talking, no hanging out, no nothing. So once again, for this woman to be here, it's kind of awkward because she's not, she's not a Jew. But she is so desperate for the healing of her daughter that she comes and says, I'll take whatever you give me. So when we talk about crumbs, think about this woman. Think about how, you know, the low self-esteem, possibly the abuse, you know, possibly the rejection. And being able to process this to the point, I mean, again, we don't know how she's processing this, but she heard about Jesus. But at one point she's like, nope. I can't do it because I'm not part of the nation of Israel. But you know what? She says, you know what? I'm going to go one step deeper and say, Lord, but even the dogs get crumbs. Wow, that's so powerful. And that moved Jesus' heart to see that grace was active once again in a very, very, very dark situation with people that had no connection to God, no connection to the Jewish God, probably pagans, probably idol worship, probably many gods. And you find this over and over and over again in the New Testament. You find it with, with the centurion and the healing miracle there. You know, you find it in other circumstances where Jesus did things that were so out of the ordinary. So once again, you know, failure, rejection, abandonment, consequence of your past death, low self-esteem, abuse, all these things that humans live with every day that, we've, that we need to process. You know, you, you get rejected at a job or something doesn't go your way and, and the scars and the pain. And we're, we love you, Jesus. Sing to Jesus. Come to church on Sunday. But leave this building still with, with the pain, still with the consequences of these things. And the sad thing is that grace was always available to make it better. Well, Pastor, you don't even understand what I'm going through. How can it make it better? If, if it can't make it better instantly, it can make it better by changing your perspective of it. That's what grace does for me. Most of the time, it gives me a perspective. Our family's going through difficult things. Yeah, currently, yes, we are. But you know what? Grace gives me perspective. If I didn't have that perspective, I wouldn't be up here today. Because I don't have all the answers for everything. But guess what I found out? I don't need all the answers for everything. You know? You don't need to know everything. You just need to know somebody that knows everything. You don't need to be rich, you just need to know somebody who's rich. Well, you don't, know, you don't need to know everything, you just need to know somebody who knows everything. And in this case, it is God. And what, and what grace does in those dark moments, if you just let it penetrate that place of, of solitude, of darkness, of confusion, of desperation, of I'm done with it. If you just sit there and finally say, Lord, your grace is sufficient. I don't like what I'm going through. I don't like the pain. I don't like the rejection. I don't like the abandonment. I don't like the consequences of my past. But at this point, your grace is sufficient. And see where that goes, because grace will heal you first in your head. 
Actually, I think it's got a fiction. I think actually grace, because it's such a personal thing, has to resolve your issues before it can resolve any other issues. Meaning, you have to accept that God loves you. You have to accept the simple, you know, the, the childlike faith. I can't get off that. Simple believe, all right? Go with me now to 1 Peter 1, 2, chapter 1, verse 2. This is so good. New Living Translation reads this way. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago. Well, Peter is, he's not repeating what Paul said, but Paul makes the same statement in Ephesians. So let's, you know, don't raise your hand, but we all have stuff that we wish could be better in our own head. Right? Okay, I'm the only psychotic person up here. All right, thank you, Lord. At least I'm open enough to say, you guys are like, oh, yeah, whatever, I'm fine, Pastor. Yeah. But the Holy Spirit sees you when you throw that fit in your house and throw everything and break everything, and then your kids wonder why you even go to church and ask you about it. Anyway, God the Father knew you. Pay attention to the next three words. And chose Do you think he looked at, well, I, I choose him, but boy, he's a mess. <laughs> I'll choose you, but he's an adulterer. I choose you, but he's a drug addict. I choose you, but he's depressed. I, no, any, none, of that things, none of those things mean nothing to God. He chose you. And if you keep digging, before you were even conceived, Ephesians, before you were conceived, there was a plan for you. Now, those are two little simple things. If you can believe those two things, that before I was even conceived, God has a plan for you. That's, that's stated in the book of Psalms. That's stated, and, and Paul makes heavy, deep reference to that point. So let's keep reading. This is just so, so powerful when you just kind of take your time with it. And his spirit, <laughs> I love this, has made you holy. In other words, you can't be holy unless it's through his spirit. And the church has made us think, and I say church, I'm not talking faith, I'm talking 2,000 years of organized religion, has made it think like we're never going to be holy enough and we have to have all these things to be holy. And then, you know, and then we give the lists and, you know, don't do this and don't do that and don't do this. And yes, and of course, come on, I mean, we, you know, if you're born again and, you're, and, nothing, and nobody can tell, <laughs> come on. If you're born again and you're still parting like a rock star, come on. No. There's a process, you know, you don't have to get it immediately right, but there's a process of transformation, there's a process of change, and hopefully down the path people say, oh, oh, you used to be like this, but now you're like that. Well, here's the key. The Spirit is the one that makes us holy. You can't make yourself holy. So get, quit trying to be holy. Because by trying to be holy, you become the biggest hypocrite in the world. Because holiness, what is Holiness. We've, we've, you know, I've been to, guys, I have a weird perspective because I'm everything within the evangelical world. I'm Baptist, I'm Pentecostal, I'm Presbyterian, I got it all, man. And I got, I got, I've been with the Pentecostals, with the capital P Pentecostals. I mean, run around the building, the whole thing. And I've been with the Pentecostals with the long dress, and I've been with the Pentecostals with, you know, and again, a lot of this, I'm not, I have no judgment. But it's weird how they believe, some people believe, if I can just put the appearance of holiness... I really don't have to be holy because all you get to see is a facade, right? This is what you see. I'm holy. 
Got my Bible with my name on it. I don't drink, I don't smoke. What do you do? You don't drink, you don't smoke. Yeah, y'all don't know that song. You heathens, how do y'all know that song? That's an old rock and roll song. You're not supposed to know that song. But we have this idea, I have to be holy. Guess what? No, you don't. Pastor, you said we could, we could. No, 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 no. Wait a minute. It's the Spirit. It doesn't say it there, but I'm going to preach it to you. Through grace, that makes you holy. Holiness from God's perspective is really different from holiness from our perspective. Because holiness from God's perspective is every area that you choose to let the Lord take care of it, that makes you holy. That means, because the word holy, we've, we, you know, we've, we've got it in our Bibles, holy Bible. What does even holy mean? Anybody know what holy means? Oh, because we use it with bad words too, right? Just saying, you guys thought about it. I know y'all, right? little dirty little minds in this church, I know. Because we use holy Jesus, and then we holy. So is it the same word, or how does it apply to Jesus, and how does it apply to poop? We have to resolve this word holy because this is a big mess for the church. Holiness simply means separated. That's all it means. The best illustration of milk, I grew up in central Mexico. You guys, some of you might remember living in South Texas. It's probably completely unheard of now here, and it's almost unheard of in Mexico. But we lived, you know, on the campus, and there would be a guy that would come. And it was funny because first he would, he would ride a bicycle with a big old thing, and then somehow he was a really good guy. It helped my mom a lot. My mom sold him a car anyway. So the next time, you know, he'd come in the car. But he would bring raw milk. Everybody know what raw milk is? I mean, this is, that's what you get. Oh, you guys are so Americanos. All right. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You can't just drink it because you're going to get so nasty sick, right? So you put it on the fire. And you let it boil. And something amazing happens and delicious happens when you boil it. I don't even know what you call it in English. In Spanish, it's called nata. Man, you get that thick thing, and they just put it in a jar, and a jar, and put it in the refrigerator. We use it for butter. We use it for everything, man. You know, put sugar on it. Just put bread, not then sugar. You're good to go, man. Nata, or what would you call it in English? The cream. Oh, that was so deep. I was looking for something more profound. Age, come on, you're a doctor. The cream has been separated. By the heat. This, is, this will preach so good. Applied to the milk. So if you want to say heat, Holy Spirit, let's do that. Fire of the Holy Spirit. But all it is is a separation. So that is a perfect example of holiness. We're all mixed with the world. And then the Spirit of God adds some heat to us. And, and, and we're just there bubbly, 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 bubbly. And something begins to happen in us. That we didn't really look for. We didn't really have anything to do with it. Just sit there in the fire and bubble. And pretty soon you begin to say, you know... Saying the F word doesn't sound right anymore. Lord, help me get it out of my vocabulary. Because now it's like very common, right? You can't watch a TV show without hearing it. So kids are picking up and now it's just almost like, back in my day, if you, you talk about it, bad words, that was the bad word. I mean, that was like your parents would kill you and make another one if you said it, all right? <laughs> but, you know, you, you live in a site where it's very common now. Can't watch a movie, can't watch anything without 10,000 F-bombs and, you know... But you make a choice, right? I want to be holy about that. Holy Spirit, can you help me? Can I have some grace? And this time you want to say one, something happens, you're like, mm. or you go the Christian virtues. Ah, freaking. 
Don't get me started on that theme. But I'm saying there's a conscience in you now that wasn't there before. That's my only point. Well, you, I don't know if I even want to touch this one because some of you guys are going to get so much conviction. But if you still lie on your IRS thingy and borrow El Primo Social Security and all that crazy stuff y'all Mexicans do, I know. I know how it works. But now there's something bugging you about that. It's called holiness. That, it doesn't mean if you fix it or not. There's just something, you know, uh, it's because I'm going to trust God. I'm going to have to pay taxes instead of getting money back. I'm a bit, you know, I'm, I'm going to just be honest today. That's holiness. Now you're starting to see how this thing works. Holiness is not something we're going to go and chase after. Holiness comes and only comes through grace. And holiness doesn't come by all the actions that you think holiness comes. Holiness comes only by the Spirit. Because it's the Spirit that convinces us to get something out of our life. It's a spirit that convinces us to get something in our life, like go to church. It's him always, all the time. It's never us. If it was up to us, guys, every one of us, including yours, Julie, we wouldn't be here right now. We'd be chilling at home, doing something different. But something in us says, no, you need this. This is, this is food. You, you better get a meal, because who knows what's coming down the pipe this week. So your spirit is what, so you say, oh, those people who go to church, they think they're holy. No, we don't think we're holy. We, we know desperately how unholy we are. We become aware of our unholiness. We become aware of our, our, our tendencies to just mess things up. And the spirit says, hey, y'all want to be holy? There's something called grace. That's why I showed you the story, especially the one about the adulterous woman. If that's not a perfect, beautiful example of what grace does, I don't know what else to do to you. Here we are with our messed up thing, thinking, oh, if I just go to church more, if I read my Bible more, ah, and God says, just shut up. Here, have some grace for it. Become holy. Now, holiness to me is not something so far out there, because let's be honest, if any of you in this room, including me, try to be holy, we'd mess it up instantly. Because all it takes is one bad thought, all it takes is one bad attitude, all it takes is one me moment, you know, it takes a, it's, so... Forget about trying to be holy. Instead of trying to forget, the thing you need to work on is grace. Because grace, you know, there's a message out there. I'm going to throw this. It's been out there for a few years, probably a lot of years now. That's not what I'm preaching. It's called hyper grace. And there's some crazy stuff out there, like really crazy stuff out there. And, and the more you go, the crazier it gets. But that's not what we're preaching here. Because, you know, we're going to get to don't frustrate grace. Yes, grace is beautiful. Grace is there. It's his presence, his love, every, the atmosphere. I could go on and on and on. But there is a part of you that has to receive that. You can be surrounded by grace and still be as miserable as you've always been. Because grace has to make a deposit, first and foremost, that you're comfortable with it. Meaning, Lord, I can't do this. But your grace is sufficient. Every challenge in your life, from natural challenges, from business challenges, I'm telling you, there is grace for everything. Our problem is we have put grace into a little cup that only means one thing, or we still don't understand how we access that grace. Amen? So let's finish reading, because this, this scripture really brings it home. So he says, God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his Spirit makes you holy. This is beautiful. And then, what is the result of those two things? He knew you before you were even born. He chose you to be holy. You can't be holy by yourself. And because of that, in other words, as a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And then he makes this little statement, which I just think is so good. May God give you more and more grace. 
and peace. Well, for my studies, and I'm not sure, you know, all the, I'm not going to dig in how they came up with this, but they say, from, in Greek translations, when you have the same word, butted up, it doesn't mean two. It means continual. It means non-ending. It means, it's almost like a loop. So when they say faith comes by hearing and hearing, it's the same idea. It doesn't come by hearing twice. It comes by a loop, continual hearing. So you could read it this way. Faith comes by hearing and 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 so forth and so on. Well, here's the same situation. So now you say, may God give you more and more. So my, what I'm trying to find out here is this. He's already connecting the last, the last line, may God give you more and more grace and peace. So in other words, he's connecting grace and peace to everything that's happening up here. Do you see that? Because it's more, right? I can't give you more unless I gave you one. Amen? You know, you don't go to somebody's house and they haven't given you water and you say, can I have more water? Unless you're being really sarcastic like I would. I would probably say that. Can I have more water? I've been here now where you haven't even offered me. So you don't say more unless you've had some. Come on, guys. Let the, I want to go home as bad as you guys, but you guys need to help me finish this, all right? May God give you more and more and more and more and more grace and peace so you can be holy. More grace and peace to remind you that he chose you. More grace and peace so you can continue to walk in holiness. More. And in other words, he never turns the grace off. And the result of grace is always peace. You can be in the deepest storm of your life. But when grace is there, you realize what the shadow of death is. And the shadow of death, guess what it is? This is really deep, guys. It's a shadow. (laughs) But unless we get grace to help us see it's a shadow, it doesn't become a shadow. It becomes very real for a lot of us. Your marriage is going through a crisis. Your kids are on drugs. You've got a bad doctor's report. You, you know, the, the economy has gone south or whatever. How many things of grace right now? But God gives you. And, I, and I'm, what, I, what I'm pulling out of this is this is like a loop. God the Father knows you, and he chose you. Do you believe that? Oh, my God. That was such an exciting. You know why you guys weren't excited about saying yes? Because you don't believe it. I don't believe it. I'm working on it. That's what faith is, right? We don't believe something and then we listen and practice it and digest it and meditate it till something happens in our head. We actually believe it. Faith never starts by you believing it. You go to the doctor and says you're going to die and you, come, you open your Bible, you still think you're going to die. It's going to take a process, right? You have to get that word. Even though you believe God can heal you, there's still a process because you're still scared to death that you're going to die. So, so, so where I'm going with this is you have to understand this. God is trying to convince us of that, of that very first line. God the Father knew you and chose you. Question, if he chose you, can you fail? If he picked you, can you lose? Because last time I checked, God hasn't lost anything. If he is on, if you're on his mind, how can you not succeed? You, you know why there's not a lot of reaction in the house? Because we're still there. We're like, oh, 
That's what it says. That's just what it says. I'm actually, you know, I'm just reading slowly. <laughs> That's all I'm doing and adding my little opinions and comments, but God the Father knew you. Okay? And chose you. And according to Paul and according to the psalmist, before you were even in your mother's womb, he made a plan for you. Those three things should settle you down for the rest of your life. Because now I'm, I'm in a comfortable place that if I can just continue focusing on grace and what God has done, I don't really have to worry about all the mechanics of my life. Because, you know, you can live like a poor man in a very wealthy place because your mind hasn't changed. You could live like a sick person in a very healthy place. Meaning there's a lot of people that come up with sicknesses. You know anybody like that? Is that you? No, I'm just kidding. I'm sick. I, felt, I had so many bad feelings yesterday because I was, I was totally overheated. Imagine if I had gone to WebMD. I would have found so many different sicknesses. I think I got the Amazonian flu. Only could be acquired in the Amazon. Haven't been there, but I still got it. Who is convinced? You see, the Holy Spirit's job is to convince. But the one thing he's trying to really convince us through this series is that, hey, it's going to be all right. Chill out. Trust grace. Trust him. You think you've got to be perfect? According to Romans, it says, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. I just gave you examples of people that had no access to grace, and Jesus said, grace for you, grace for you, grace for you. If he did it for those people, how much more will he do it for you? So get this little scripture. Go back and read it in different translations. You, as a result, pay attention to this. You have obeyed him. In other words, as a result of which? Of his spirit. You can't even obey God without his spirit. That's what religion tries to get, do to you. You got to obey God. How? Well, don't do this. Okay. God is like, no, no, no. That's not how it works. That's not how none of it works. You let the spirit take control and talk to you and inform you and provide grace. And pretty soon, I'll be honest with you, you don't really need a whole lot of people telling you what to do or what not to do. Because the Spirit himself, I know, I know Romans says itself, it's himself bears witness with our spirit that he chose us along. I'm, I'm, I'm playing with Romans, you get it. But that he chose us. The spirit bears witness to your spirit that you were chosen. And if I was chosen, how can I fail? Well, what if you fail? Then it's part of the plan. I, 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 I might fail right now. I might go through the valley of the shadow of death. But I'm not going to build a house there. Because part of my plan is not to build a house in the valley of shadow of death. So when grace carries you, you find that grace is with you in your gutters. You find it's in the high times. You find it everywhere. But the last thing is that he gives you more and more, that he's always providing this grace, always providing the grace. It's the believer's job to be aware of it. It's the believer's job before you have that meltdown. It's the believer's job before you just break something, before you punch something. How do you know all that? Trust me, I know. When you're working and it's hot and you're doing a contract, you don't want to be out there in the sun and you're like fed up and all of a sudden you're like, ah! And he's like, chill out. He'll give you grace on how to figure stuff out. You're struggling with your finances? He'll give you grace how to figure out, but you're going to have to put your part. You have to be open to correction. You have to be open to adjustments. He's willing to fix a lot of areas, but it's up to us to let it go through. All right, let's move on. I spent too much time on this one. Okay, where are you guys getting something out of this this morning? 
First Corinthians. I like that. I, I can't get past that. And his spirit makes you holy. That's so good. First Corinthians 15, verses 9 and 10 says, Yes, this is Paul now, because now we're going to bring it home. I am the most insig- insignificant of all the apostles. Unworthy to even be called an apostle. I'm like, Paul, you just wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, right? And then he tells you why he feels he's unworthy. Because I hunted down believers and persecuted, persecuted God's church. Stop. Now, hopefully none of you are doing that. All right? You're not doing that. But let me ask you this question. Let's change it into our life. What is the one thing that you feel makes you unworthy? Don't answer it. Bad decisions you made. Regrets from the past. Lack of whatever you lack of. So you could say this. You know, I didn't hunt but I'm believers. I didn't persecute God's church. But there's a lot of things that if I look at in my life, they will become handicaps to the move of grace. In other words, God still has his grace. God's still available. But, but our self how can I put it? The way we see ourselves is really dependent on how much we accept grace. In other words, there's no more grace. There's no less grace. There's only grace. There's not a balloon of grace. There's not a cup of grace. There's not a truckload of grace. It's just grace. There's one. There's just one thing. So it's not like you get more or less. It's how it interacts with you, how that favor of God, how that presence of God, how that thinking of God interacts with you every day. So he goes on to say, I hunted down believers and persecuted God's church. But God's amazing grace has made me who I am. Now here is the one thing you need to, if you don't get anything else out of this message, walk out of the building with this. You are where you are, and you're going where you're going to a good place if you accept that. People don't believe this, and I've said it many times. And I don't, I'm, not, I'm not even saying I got past it. But I'm an absolute introvert. I, you're like, whatever. I am. I like to be alone. Me, myself, and I, we hang out all day long. And we, we stay busy, right? You have to have friends. I don't. I like friends, and I have friends. But then something happens in my calling. Because Kelvin Box, the Kelvin Box, cannot do this. So the only reason I'm up here is because of grace. I'm just being honest with you guys. You know, I didn't finish because of my bad choices. (laughs) My university. I did a lot of bad choices. Like to kill myself many times, not by suicide, just by stupid. Well, I was in car wrecks. I was motorcycle. I was. I mean, there's. I, mean, there's, I can tell you how many times I shouldn't even be here. Fell off two roofs. Not only I'm like Paul, man. I've been in three shift wrecks. Well, I fell off two roofs, Paul. How about that? You know. All this stuff. Then it comes. Jesus says, "You know what? I can honestly tell you today. Don't you ever look at Kelvin Box like he's something, because he ain't. I am what I am because of God's grace." That's it. Because I already proved what I am without God's grace. How many of you remember what you were without God's grace? And you're on, you see, I'm, you're not honest enough to get up here and tell us, but I am. We were a mess. And not only we were a mess, we were messing a lot of people up. It's by grace. Here's the guy that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Here's the guy that if it wasn't for Paul's writings, 
you know, I'm sure something would have happened. God wouldn't have left us hanging. But the message we carry is because of what God gave this man. This is the message to the Gentiles. This is the message to the non-Jewish people. And he says, I cannot do this. I'm a bad guy. But, I like that little but right there because it just eliminates everything before. He says, God's amazing grace has made me who I am. And his grace to me was not fruitless. Remember this. Where grace is moving, there will always be fruit. I'm telling you. I worked harder than all the rest, yet not in my own strength. But God, once again, for his empowering grace is poured upon me. People say, how, how do you do what you do? I don't know what I do what I do. You know, I, got, I, wear, I wear so many hats. I wear a pastor hat. I wear a contractor hat. I wear a husband hat. I wear a grandpa hat. I wear a dad hat. I make believe musician hat sometimes. Lots of hats. But at the end of all the hats you weigh, his grace to me was not fruitless. Here's the thing about accepting grace. Well, I already accept it. No, but I mean, you really have to work on, on it. Let it filter your, your, your thinking process, the negativity. Because we, gosh, we think so bad. Let's just be honest. We really think bad. Have you ever noticed that it's so easy to think negative thoughts, but so hard to think good thoughts? Why is that? I mean, you, you can sit yourself in that chair and make yourself completely miserable and really quick. But it's hard to think good thoughts. It's hard to think that we're blessed, you know, because the devil doesn't want you there. Because those thoughts create that access to grace. Remember, God has to work with your head by his spirit. And the more you just accept it in the simplicity of it, say, okay, pastor, I get it. God's, you know, if you take away the word grace and just use the word presence, will it help you to understand it? Because people get hung up on grace like, here, here's your grace. Drink some grace. No, it's him. So if you want to change the word grace to presence, then do it that way. I'm fine with it. That's not a biblically incorrect. That means you get more. So, so his presence equals grace. And I need, I need his presence all the time because in this world, it's so dark and so wicked and so confused. You just need grace. And he goes on and says, his grace to me was not fruitless. In other words, grace will always produce. In fact, I work harder than all the rest, yet not in my own strength. I love this because sometimes when you think you're done, and when you think you don't got it anymore, and when you think, oh, I can't do this one more day, you're exactly right. You can't do this one more day. And the problem that you're there now is because you didn't let grace do its perfect work in your heart. If you had, if you had backed up and just say, Lord, I can't do this, and if I'm supposed to do this, God, give me some grace for it. And if grace doesn't show up, guess what? You're not supposed to do it. <laughs> How deep is that one, right? I need grace to go on mission trips. I need grace to do everything. I need grace for wisdom. My God, I get all these questions and comments. And, you know, you need grace all the time. In other words, another thing you can say about grace, it's the mind of God. So if you want to think like God, think, in the, in, think down the path of grace. Think down the path of present. So, you know, the other thing that grace does, I just want to pull that one up. Empowering grace is poured if you're feeling weak, and I'm not just talking physical, emotionally, spiritually, given up, bored, there's empowering grace for you. Are you willing to bring that and say, Lord, <laughs> grace? See what happens. Amen? Y'all see her with me? All right, almost done. Let me give you a quote by St. Augustine. It's so good. For grace is given not because we have done good works. I love this. This is so good but in order that we may be able to do them. 
In other words, you can't be holy without grace. You can't do anything without grace. You can't do nothing for Jesus without grace. And St. Augustine just nailed it because he says, you know, grace is not given because we have done good works, but that's what religion teaches. The more you come to church, the better, you know, more brownie points, more brownie points, more brownie points. A bunch of little stars on your forehead. Perfect attendance diploma. But then when cancer knocks at your door, what are you going to do? Your perfect attendance diploma is not going to help you. Cancer helps. I mean, grace helps you. And grace will eliminate it. And grace will do something. And if nothing else, grace, grace will give you everything you need to navigate whatever you're navigating to. But it has to be that. Grace was given for us to do good things, not the other way around as religion has taught it. Thank you for your amen there. Not one amen. Okay, moving on. Dietrich Bonhoeffner, amazing man. If you don't know his story, you should. Look him up. Second World War, man of God. And finally was executed by the Nazi machine. But he, I mean, he did so much good in, in, during World War II. Just amazing story. But anyway, Dietrich said this, By judging others, we blind ourselves to our own evil and to the grace which others are just as entitled as we are. Wow. And that, that you know, that, that resonates with what the Lord told me years and years ago. I mean, I can almost say, I know the season in my life, so I'm going to say about 12 years ago, dealing with just all kinds of negativity and the very simple golden nugget that dropped in my heart by God. It says, the grace that you ask of me is the only grace I ask you to give. What does that even mean, Pastor? Well, when I would come to God, you know, and we all do. Let's say we mess up, you know, we have a fight with our wife or we do something we shouldn't. You go, Lord, forgive me. I really mess this thing. I just, you know what, you know, his grace is instant. And it goes immediately into the place of forgetfulness. I will remember your sins no more, right? But what happens when somebody hurts you? Are you willing to let it go? Are you willing to say the same grace that I needed for my, you know, stability, spiritual and otherwise, thank you, Lord. Can I give you that grace when you hurt my feelings? Can I give you that grace when you let me down? Can I? Because if I can, then I don't understand grace. Because it was the same presence that God put on me to set me free, and it's the same presence. It's not my, it's not my presence that I'm releasing into your life when you hurt my feelings. It's his presence. I choose not to be offended. Even though it hurt, I still choose not to be offended. It bothered me, but I choose not to be offended. I choose grace. You see, that's what I say at the, at the front end of this. Grace is it's not, it's not a fragile little cup that will break. And you have No, no, grace is strong. Grace is powerful. Grace, grace went into the pits of hell and brought Jesus out. Don't, don't tell me grace is weak. But frustrated grace is real. And frustrated grace comes by human nature. In other words... We ask something of God that we're not willing to give. That's human nature. That's not God nature. Because for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But we know we're not there yet. I don't love you that much to give my only son. (laughs) What I'm saying is, watch this thing, because this is really kind of the summary. I'm trying to summarize everything we've talked about, you know, to be sure that grace is a free-flowing energy in your life. If I can use the word energy, spirit presence it's free-flowing it's not something we oh let me put this grace switch on click ah i got grace for you no grace has to flow in the darkest moments of your life that's when it's the strongest 
Grace has the same grace has to flow in the happiest moments of your life. Grace has to be there in the most confused moments of your life. Grace has to be there in the, most, in the moments where the most clarity of your life. It doesn't matter. It's just there. And that's what Dietrich was trying to say is you can't be judging other people and expect this thing to work. Amen, Pastor. See, like you're judging me right now about it. It takes too long. Okay. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. Here we go. We're gonna, two more scriptures and we'll be done. Looking diligently, oh, this is so good, lest any man fail of the grace of God. And then he tells you what causes that fail. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many are defiled. Well, the word defiled is, simply means you become dirty. So when we talk about holiness and we talk about grace, and we talk about all these things, judging people, I know there's a lot of loose ends, not loose ends, but it's a big package I'm giving you this morning. But look at this one now, because this is really, we're trying to summarize it now. Looking diligently, lest any man fail. So here's here's the thing we have to resolve. The grace of God cannot fail. Man can fail it. The grace of God never fails, because it's God. It's one, it's present, it's spirit. Name it, put all the names you want to it. It's him. So God cannot fail. Now what we call Failed grace is not really failed grace. It's our ability to use it properly. That's what caused it to fail. Grace didn't fail. You failed in your ability to use it. Are you okay with that? Okay, I'll try it again. So nobody said amen. I want to go through the whole thing. Looking diligently, lest any man fail the grace of God. And then he tells you what are the symptoms of failed grace. In other words, grace doesn't fail. You can't break grace. You can't break spirit. So the failure of grace in your life is because of this. Bitterness. Bitterness. Amargura. Wake up mad every day. Still love Jesus, still go to church, still speak in tongues. But there's just no light. There's no joy. That's not right. (laughs) You know how many Christians live there? They just wake up every day just to get through the day, hoping it's evening so they can go back to bed. Amen. Bitterness is something we have to say, well, Pastor, you know, that is, you know, and again, this is a really complicated thing. It's like, I'm not going to try to even pursue it right now. But bitterness has so many angles to it. But at the end of the day, it's really unresolved grace. In other words, somebody did something, somebody said something, you went through something, or you're blaming yourself for something. Or you can't forgive yourself for something you did. All these things are roots of bitterness. Or if I could put it this way, they're seeds of bitterness. Now, a seed doesn't mean nothing until it has soil and water, right? So there's a lot of reasons to be bitter. Watch the news, you'll get bitter real quick. But there's no reason to let seeds grow. So you have to recognize bitterness as, a, as something that will counter punch, if I put it this way, God trying to do something. I can't say the grace of God because nothing counterpunches God's grace. What it can counterpunch is your ability to receive it. So settle this. Grace doesn't, it's not little grace, big grace. It's just one. It's him. So, but the, the influence of grace will vary very, very deeply because of bitterness. Because another thing bitterness is, is the gutter. Bitterness is a sad place. Bitterness is a depressed place. Bitterness is a place of giving up. Bitterness is a place of everybody let me down. I've been betrayed. Nobody likes me. I hate the world, right? That's bitterness. 
And it comes in many flavors and many little things. So I think one of the things that we have to leave this building this morning is thinking about every time, because I like what it says here. It says, springing up. Springing up. Well, my idea of springing up is not an idea of a tree growing. Right? A tree, you put a little seed, you know, a little tiny little thing pops up. And here you go. It might take years for you to have shade. So I don't see it springing up. You got me? So this is something else. You know, something else is going on. I, I mean, Pastor, you're so, I, I digest every little, there's not one word in that book that's left over. You got to break, that's why people miss it. You got to break stuff up because if you just keep, if you just stay in one scripture, God will talk to you, man. He'll say, this is what that means. This is what that means. This, this, is, what, this is what I'm doing right now. I'm just going with the spirit of God. Looking diligently, let any man fail the grace, lest any root of bitterness springing up. In other words, you're having a fine day and something just springs up and now you're mad at the world, you're bitter. Well, he tells you right there, if you don't control that through grace, now you're contaminated. Now darkness begins to set in. And I'm, I hate to say it, church, hopefully it's not this church, but there's so thousands if not millions of Christians around the world, hopefully I'm not one of them, that we have everything to have peace in our life, but we still tr- choose to live in a place of bitterness. Choose to live in a place of depression. Well, I can't help depression. I'm not saying if it's clinical or not. I'm just saying, but you do have a choice. Choose to, to, you know, instead of being a total jerk today, choose to be a blessing today. So all, those are all grace choices. You say, well, I don't feel like being a blessing. Well, choose it. Okay, I'll be a blessing. Grace shows up. Has nothing to do with your feelings. You chose to be a blessing, and even though you're having a bad day, guess what? You're going to bless somebody. You guys don't understand, as a pastor, it's, it's amazing. Sometimes I'll get up here and preach something, and not, not very often, but sometimes it feels like I was like completely disconnected. Unless you're a preacher, you'll never understand this. Or a teacher, maybe you'll understand. It's like, like spitting rocks. Or bounce back. And okay, man, praise God, I did my job, Lord. And then somebody will come up and say, Pastor, you don't even know. And I'm like, what? You don't even know. The word, what you preached was, and I'm thinking, that was the worst sermon I've ever preached in my life. There was no connection. There was no rhythm. I couldn't get a rhythm with the people. I couldn't get it going. I couldn't get engagement. I, I, I just wanted to go home. Trust me, I've been there a few times. We'll just say, man, let's go. And somebody will come up and say, that was for me. You see, I have to trust that because sometimes I'm, you know, I, I told, I think I, I told RJ this a long time ago. We were talking about preaching. So I was like, you guys think every time I take this, every time for th- almost 30 years, I'm always nervous that I'm not going to perform to what God's expectation is. And not perform, to deliver what God told me to do. Every time I prepare, my, I get up here, I have my notes, and I'm always like, okay, here we go. Almost as like it was the first time preaching. It's weird. But it's really that desire to get it right. But I, but I find out that even grace, has, God, when I've stumbled through message, when I've messed up, when I've lost my train of thought, and I'm thinking, boy, I'm over here, how am I even going to bring it? Guys, you guys don't know how hard it is sometimes to do this. <laughs> but you come back to grace, right? And say, Lord, your grace is sufficient. And I'm telling you, God will make sure that somebody, through a text message, through after service will come up here, or somewhere, or you just preach something, you know, like what Gabby said, she told me the first time, I said, you know, okay, just, it's a good series, you know, I thought it was good, it helped me, but I didn't realize how deep it helped some people, how it, how it had an impact, okay, check that series off, we got the ego series, what's next, Pastor Vox? No, it went deep, and transformed people, and clicked something up here, 
that made you a better person. Now we're talking, and that is what that talks about. Every time you feel bitterness coming up, every time you feel judgmental spirit come up, say, no, Lord. This is really easy to say, your grace is sufficient. Everything in my life is telling me to be bitter, but your grace is sufficient. Everything in my life is telling me not to forgive those people, but your grace is sufficient. I have a lot of confusion, and I have a lot of, you know, these people betrayed me, they backstabbed me, they left the church without letting me know, right? (laughs) But I choose not to be bitter. Bitterness is a choice, church. And last scripture, and we finish with this. Wow, I didn't know we were that far done. (laughs) Hebrews 4, 4, 16 says, So then, since we have a high, this is going to set you free this morning, have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do. I don't know how Jesus has temptations that are relatable to the 2022, but trust me, he went through them. Because it says so, he went through them. So when you see temptation, don't say, well, I'm tempted to do something bad. It also means tests and trials. So it's not just, I don't want to do something bad. It's also tests and trials. So as you go down into here, he says, for he faced all the same testing we do, yet he did not sin. You ready for this? There, let, me, let, me, let me prephase it or prep it with this. You have no excuse now. <laughs> you have no reason to say, well, God, you don't know what I'm doing with this. You have, a husband, you, know, you have a big fight with your wife. You go, God, you, know, you don't even understand this. You haven't even been married. Well, you're right. He hasn't been married, but obviously he understands that. Because he says that he's been tested and tried in everything. So what does that do for you? It lets you come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, that we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. When you're in the gutter the most. When you're in the darkest the most. When you're confused the most. That's what grace does. Stand to your feet. Glory to God. Wow, that was good. Father, we just thank you this morning for where the word has gone. And Lord, everyone here, everyone watching us online, even people that will listen to podcasts down, down, Father, we all need access and an understanding to this thing. I want you just to really make a personal prayer right now. I, I, I don't even, I'm just going to pray a prayer, but it's not for you to listen to it. Just pray something. Maybe you can identify some areas in your life where you're like, Lord, I need some grace here. Maybe, the, maybe there's some behavioral issues. I'm just going with the Holy Spirit. I know it's late. We're almost out of here. But don't, don't turn off the Holy Ghost right now. You, you've come this far. You've made it to church. You've been here. Don't turn him off right now. Because I believe with all my heart that God wants to do a work in me and in you. And he spoke to about it last night. He said, I want you to pray for people. I want you to, you know, when I mean pray, pray. But here's the thing. Can we resolve some of these things as simple as it is this morning? Say, Lord... This area of my life is an area of bitterness. This area of my life is an area of confusion. You know, go down the list. I'm not going to take any more time. Be honest. But let's ask God with everything we got this morning that his grace would just absolutely flood this house. It's him, right? But what, you know what's bigger? That you'll leave this building seeing something you've never seen before. About how he loves you how he interacts with you, how he helps you day in, day out. Even when you don't ask for him, he's still there. Even when you don't request something through prayer, he's got you covered because that's what grace does. You must understand, prayer is good, all is good, but don't think just because you missed, oh, I didn't ask God to protect me on the highway today. No, he's got that. 
You've been around his house too long for him not to take care of you. That's what grace is. So I'm going to ask you one thing as I pray. If there's anything you need to forgive yourself of, yourself, not anybody else, yourself, you need to do it right now. In the presence of God, just say, Lord, you know, 20 years ago I messed this thing up. Yesterday I messed this thing up. I ask you, Lord, to give me grace to forgive myself. Father, we just thank you this morning as we wrap this service up. And, Lord, what a, what a great service this morning. Father, your presence is tangible. It's here. And, Lord, all of us, every one of us needs grace. Lord, we could have tried as hard as we could to fix things and to repair things and to resolve things. And at the end of the day, we just make a bigger mess, God. Because, Lord, we just need to realize that your grace is sufficient. We don't need to add. We don't need to take away. Your grace is all we need. Your love and your presence and all the religious spider webs that we have in our head that confuse what grace is, Lord, we ask you to clean them out today and for it to become just a simple revelation, a simple insight that you never left us, you will never leave us, no, not till the end of this age. And because of that, we have the grace of God to forgive people, to release pains, to release the things in our past that keep coming up. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, by the Holy Spirit and the grace of God, every root of bitterness, every root of bitterness, every unforgiveness, everything that we don't understand, we just put it on the throne of grace so we can find mercy in this time of need. And we receive that. We pray over the healing of our bodies, the healing of our minds. You know, you're saved by grace. Guess what? You're healed by grace. You're prosperous by grace. There's peace in your home because it's all the same. It's all the same avenue. So receive your healing. You are healed. You didn't do nothing. He took the the cross and he gave you the healing. He took the pain and he gave you the comfort. He took the loneliness and he gave you a family. Because it was lonely in hell, church. For three days, Jesus paid it all. And we just received that. So right now, in the name of Jesus, you lay that thing down in this house. By the time you get to your car, you say, I'm not touching that anymore. I'm not going to be bitter about what they did, what she said, what he did, what she said, what I thought, what I could have done. I didn't go to this. All the, all the regrets of life now come under the blanket of grace. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving us perspective and insights on how to navigate this life through grace in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Well, you can give the Lord a big hand clap if you can. God bless you. All right, let me get you out of here quickly. Sorry, it was got into it. I thought I had more time. You may be seated. <laughs> Would you get something out of all that? All right, y'all know what to do. I'm not even going to talk about it. Thank you all for your generosity. I do want to encourage them. Those are watching me online. Those are in the house. Especially if you were on the leadership team, we we um, there's still a few. Well, I mean, I haven't checked with the Anis, but we were like three, four hundred dollars short of the VBS budget. So that that that's not for an offering. That's going to be taken care of. But I do want to encourage you. There's a list out there. I'm not sure if we did it public or we did it, but the, there's a gift list, and we got one week left, guys. So I, I need to bring it up. So um, you know, let's take care of the the VBS. You know, you you can contact Yanis and so forth and see what's needed.